Welcome to Last First Date Radio, featuring interviews with experts in dating, relating, and mating in midlife. And now, here's your host, Sandy Weiner. This is episode number 449 with Laura Doyle. How to fix your relationship when you're the only one doing the work. Hi, everybody. I'm Sandy Weiner, and welcome back to Last First Date Radio, where we believe a woman of value naturally attracts the respect she deserves in life and love. If you're looking to build your confidence and improve all your relationships and show up more authentically in your life, I wrote a book just for you. It's called Becoming a Woman of Value, How to Thrive in Life and Love, and it's filled with 30 tips exercises, and stories to help you step more fully into your value, which will help you in every area of your life, including your love life. It's available now on Amazon for Kindle or paperback. Every week, I bring you a tip from the book about how to become a woman of value. And this week's tip is be firm about your standards. We often don't even know what our standards are, or we set standards and we don't follow through. So if you're someone whose standards get disrespected by other people, I invite you to take a look at where those standards are a little flimsy and not firm enough and practice holding true to one standard this week. Before I bring Laura on, I want to invite you to join my Facebook group, Your Last First Date. If you're a woman over 40 and you want to grow on your journey to your last first date and be guided in a positive way, Join us at your last first date. And now for my guest, Laura Doyle. She is the founder of the International Relationship Coach Training School, Laura Doyle Connect. And she's the creator of the Ridiculously Happy Wife Program and the host of the Empowered Wife Podcast. She has helped over 15,000 women fix their relationships, even the hopeless ones, without the effort of their husbands. So you've helped all these women and you almost got divorced too. Tell us a little bit about your story. Um, It's a pretty embarrassing story. I was really the perfect wife until I actually got married. And then I decided I was going to help my husband be more ambitious and how he could be more romantic. I was going to tell him how to be tidier. And then he avoided me and he didn't want to spend any time with me. He didn't even want to make love to me. So I knew there was something wrong with him. And I uh, read all these relationship books and I, I drug him to counseling or dragged him to counseling. So we've got to go to marriage counseling. So, you know, you can get fixed so I can finally be happy. Cause I thought that's how it works. Uh, and of course it's not how it works. And I remember I was on the marriage counselors, gray couch when I realized this is hopeless. He's never going to change. And the only options I saw for myself were to get divorced or spend the rest of my life in a loveless marriage. But I was too embarrassed to get divorced because people had been to the wedding just not that long before. So I decided as a last ditch effort, I was going to ask women who had been in happy marriages for at least 15 years for their secrets. And I thought they were going to say, yeah, you got to pick the right person, but they didn't. They said things uh, that didn't even make sense to me. I remember one woman said, well, I try never to criticize my husband, no matter how much it seems like he deserves it. And I was like, "Mm, have you got anything else? Cause uh, (laughs) yeah, I'm not sure about that one, but 
I decided to just take their ideas all on board and experiment with them. And a little while later, um, I came through the door and my husband's face lit up and he was happy to see me again. And that had been gone. So I thought, okay, this is working. And I ended up uh, really putting forth the effort to implement the, the things that I was learning from them and uh, accidentally created this system, the six intimacy skills, where uh, and women all over the world practice them now uh, because uh, I started a little support group so that I could try to stay on track. I couldn't, couldn't really do it at first. It seemed really hard. It wasn't that hard. It was just new. Um, and now today I'm, I'm still, I'm married 31 years to that same guy. He's the man of my dreams. And it would have been so tragic if I'd thrown my marriage out just cause I didn't, no one had ever taught me how to have a great relationship. My parents are divorced and I was following a failed recipe. Um, so it's been really life-changing. I feel like I have like superpowers now to um, love and be loved in return. Wow. What a great story. And I think so many women, I see it with relationships and women who are dating in their forties, fifties, sixties, and beyond. We are so used to controlling everything and we do it at work, right? They show up and they're just trying to keep order in a relationship, which means that you tell other people what to do. I just got off a session with a client who is so transformed in this area. She used to be so controlling. And now she notices when she's trying to fix and she steps back. So speak to the reason why so many women are always trying to fix their partners. Well, I, I had no idea I was controlling. I do have to give credit to this marriage counselor for pointing that out. And I think fish are always the last ones to notice they're in the ocean <laughs> in a way, right? She was like, do you, you realize you're controlling? And it was like the record player went, rrr, rrr, rrr. like, we're here to fix him. You know, what are you talking about? Um, and then uh, what I learned uh, was that I was controlling out of fear. So if you don't, if you're not afraid, he's going to, forget something, you don't have to remind them. You don't have to say the property taxes are due or, you know, you're not afraid he's going to buy an impractical car. You don't have to say, Hey, a sports coupe is not going to fit a family of four. Or, um, so it was all about me choosing my fear instead of my faith each time and feeling completely justified and validated in doing it. Cause it's like, I'm, well, I'm the only one around here. Who's making sure the cars get maintained and the bills get paid on time. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm the one that's juggling the bills and I'm, I'm taking care of all these grown up things. So of course I need to control it. Cause he's just, I don't know. He's just, my husband's very relaxed, um, like a calm person, right? He's very easygoing. And so I thought that meant I had to take all this responsibility um, and it didn't, you know, I actually, as part of relinquishing inappropriate control, my husband, I decided that I was going to relinquish control of the finances and just say, you know what, this is really stressful. I can't do it. And that was true for me. And um, he took them and like, we are more abundant. Like, it feels like that was such a great decision. He does such a better job with them than I was. And that means when we go out to eat now, like he always takes me on a date. He's always buying my dinner and yeah, it comes out of the joint account, but it's a great way for me to just get to be in that feminine space of receiving graciously from this man who just wants me to be happy and treat me like a princess. 
Yep, fear is running most people's ships, it's true. And it's good for us to recognize those fears. We, we often don't even know what we're afraid of. So tell us how you started to overcome your fears. Uh, like you, Sandy, that's what was modeled for me too, right? My, you think of, I think of mother, I think of martyr because that's what <laughs> I witnessed. And, um, and, and poor thing, my mom didn't know any better. No one ever taught her the intimacy skills that I feel so um, privileged to have been able to study and learn now. And um, what I used to do, one of the things I used to do in the battle days was I would just complain about things. Like I would say, to my husband, John, I'd say, John, this kitchen is a disaster. And I thought he was going to jump up off the couch and start cleaning it. And I got to tell you, Sandy, that never, it never <laughs> didn't work. Uh, didn't, <laughs> no, is that weird? Amazing. So, and I look back now, I think, I think maybe all he could hear was John, blah, 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 blah. I feel like they can't even hear us when we're just complaining. Right. So like the peanuts parents or something. Wow. Wow. <laughs> So, um, so I finally had the experience, uh, and, and I, the Francis Walsh said, if you can't be a good example, you'll just have to be a horrible warning. And this story is about me being a horrible warning. So, and this was before I was even married to my husband, he took us on a romantic getaway to Hawaii, which great. Right. And he was kind of my new boyfriend at the time. And so I was super excited. I thought we're going to, I want to go to the beach on the first day. And um, so he, he, but on that morning, um, instead of saying that I wanted to go to the beach, I said, oh, what, what do you think we should do today? And he said, well, let's go see a volcano. And I was like, oh, a volcano. <laughs> okay. But I didn't want to cause conflict, right? I didn't want to disagree because uh, my new boyfriend, I wanted it to be, I wanted us to be close. And so uh, we get in the rental car and we're driving along and you don't see a volcano for a while. You just, there's molten rocks on the side of the road. It's anyway. So I started to fume and he realized like something was wrong and he's like, you know, what's wrong? And that's when I let him have it. I went, did you think this would be fair? Because I didn't think it's fun at all. I think it's really stupid. And I, you didn't even ask me what I wanted to do. I wanted to go to the beach. So he saw a volcano, all right, poor guy. All he knew was he took his girlfriend to Hawaii, right? And you know, even after I behaved so badly, guess what he did? He took me to the beach because once he knew what I wanted, he just wanted to make me happy. And I've asked thousands of men, you know, how important is it to you that your wife or girlfriend is happy? And they all say the same thing. They say, oh, it's everything or it's the most important thing. And in the United Kingdom, they say it's imperative. So this is a universal thing that we see across the board. And once I figured that out and I learned, uh, this is something you know I describe in detail in The Empowered Wife, where uh, if you express your desires in a way that inspires, you get a much better response. And so what I learned to start doing, like with the dishes, I said, um, I would love a clean kitchen. And that was it. Well, that was like, 20 years ago and he's been doing the dishes ever since and like cleaning the sink and cleaning the stove and wiping off the island I mean it's just amazing when it first happens you think this is a miracle but you know what he never knew what I wanted before when I was just saying this kitchen is a disaster I thought I was saying what I wanted but I didn't so one big aspect of learning to relinquish this inappropriate control that felt so undignified and like my mother on her worst day was really learning how to know what I want and honor what I want uh, by expressing it uh, in a way that inspires my husband. Wow, what a beautiful story. You both ended up getting what you wanted. 
he got his volcano and you got to go to the beach. So, <laughs> I can't believe he still married me after that. I looked back. I'm like, <laughs> we come to relationships with our background, our history, and our lack of skills. Let's talk about the six intimacy skills that you mentioned. One of my favorite ones is I call it the change your husband skill. <laughs> and it can be change your boyfriend. It could even be change your date. Really. It, it works so fast. Uh, and it's, uh, it, it's falls under the category of gratitude, but it's specifically, it's the spouse fulfilling prophecy, or it could be boyfriend fulfilling prophecy or date fulfilling prophecy. And the way that one works is uh, we all uh, actually are doing this all the time, whether we realize it or not. So my unwitting spouse fulfilling prophecy to my husband was, I used to say, Hey, maybe you should um, try to make more money. Maybe you should ask for a raise. Maybe you should try to get a better job. Maybe you could get a side hustle. Right. And so the subtext of all that was you don't make enough money. So that was my spouse fulfilling prophecy. You don't make enough money. And I'm such a good manifester. I mean, like he stopped making any money. He quit his job and he was making no money. And then I was seething with resentment. I was so unhappy. It felt so stressed out. Like I was supporting us both. It was horrible. And then um, I actually tuned into um, a tape from Lee Miltier back in the Nightingale Conant days. Um, and I think she's just a genius. And she was teaching a course on auto-suggestion. So she was teaching people to say to themselves, right? Like I ran a marathon or I have a successful business. Or I made a million dollars or whatever. And uh, this woman went to the course and left the course realizing that she was affirming to her husband something she didn't want to experience. And that was that he had a terrible temper. So he would lose his temper and she'd go, that's just like you to lose your temper. So she left Lee's course deciding, you know, I'm going to just change it up. I'm just going to experiment. What can, what can, what do I have to lose? So she went home, waited for him to lose his temper. And uh, she didn't have to wait very long. And then she said, that's not like you to lose your temper. And he looked at her funny and their 12, 12 year old son said, yes, it is mom. He always loses his temper. Cause what had he been listening to all this time? Right. But she stuck with her gun. She just decided to stay with her new mantra. And so a little while later, they're at a restaurant and uh, the service is kind of slow. And the husband puts down the menu and just says, you know what? I've got half a mind to call the manager over here and tell him why, you know, how long we've been waiting. This is very upsetting. He started to lose his temper. And then he stopped himself and he said, you know what? That's not like me to lose my temper like that, is it? And she just oh. nearly fell out of the floor, you know, fell <laughs> onto the floor because that was so unlike him, but she was now having the experience that she was focused on. So I heard this and I thought, okay, I'm going to do this too. So instead of saying, why don't you make more money or, you know, you don't make enough money. I started saying to my husband, you're such a good provider. You've always been a good provider. And then just for fun, I also started calling him Mr. Moneybags. And right around that time, my husband started um, a business. He'd never started one before. He'd always worked uh, for other people. And it was the most successful thing that he'd ever done. He, he was very successful with it financially. And I think it was also like his right work. He was really good at it. And um, he had that business for like 20 years. He just just with COVID, he recently closed his business, but um, I got to see with my own eyes what a completely different experience. Um, he would get checks in the mail and he would open his checks and I would say, oh, look, Mr. Moneybag's got a big check or whatever. And it, it didn't seem like a stretch at all to say he, he's such a good provider. My husband's a really good provider. It's a great story about how you turned it around and how you ended up speaking to him. 
I think we all like it when somebody believes in us, and that's really what's at the core of this. When I start a new coaching relationship, I believe in my client's potential and what's possible for them. When somebody is partnering with us and believes in our potential, we are more inclined to rise up to that. And when they believe in our lower self, we're going to prove that they're right. That's so wisely said, Sandy. That's exactly my experience too. And it's easier said than acted on in some ways, right? Because we do get scared as mere mortal women. Uh, As a mere mortal woman, I get scared sometimes that my husband's going to exercise his right to be wrong, make some kind of mistake. And I want to jump in and uh, correct him or control him. And it's such a better experience all around when I choose that faith in him, my trust in him. Remember like, oh yeah, I remember why I married him because he's a really smart, capable man. Uh, and then he in turn feels more respected when I make that decision. So let me ask you a question. You respected your husband. You believed in the possibility that he could rise up, right? A lot of people hearing this might be thinking, I don't really think my partner can rise up to that level. That's just fake. How do I say that? What do people do if they don't believe it? That's a great question, Sandy, because um, I the reason I laughed when you said, so you believed he, you know, he had it in him. I don't know that I did at the time. <laughs> I thought my husband was just the biggest loser pants. And um, I went around kind of like convincing everyone of this, I think. Um, I remember like just going to girls nights over margaritas and just bashing him and they would bash their husbands and um, just coming home even more miserable than I had been before I left. So um, did I think he was capable when I first started deciding to be respectful? No, I don't think I did. But I did know that I didn't enjoy the emotional hangover that I was getting every time I was disrespectful. And let me just back up for a second too and say, I didn't really know what respect meant. I'd grown up hearing, of course, you have to respect your your man. And um, and I was like, yeah, I do, except for the way he dresses and the way he drives. And um, also, you know, he doesn't make enough money, right? Like I, I didn't realize that um, respect for men would mean like, like all the times when I thought I was being helpful, which is like code for controlling, <laughs> that that was landing on him as though I didn't think he was competent. And for men, there's like no greater... Um, hurt really than to look into their wife or girlfriend mirror see and see in her eyes like I don't think you know what you're doing right Mm -hmm. it's a really um, it's the same as feeling unloved for them so it was kind of a big deal when I learned what that respect what what it looked like how to actually do it and I created all these cheat phrases around doing that so that I would um, just kind of be able to rely on those even if my heart didn't feel right um, the words could help me connect to the part of my heart that I wanted to, to show up as, right? I want to be this dignified, respectful woman. That's important to me because it feels a lot better than being the um, the nagging, complaining shrew that I was before. And so, um, so I came up with a few cheat phrases that helped me do that. And they don't, they aren't that easy to say, especially the first time, but they work so well that I, um, just now feel like I couldn't live without them. Like one of them is, um, um, I apologize for being disrespectful 
when I, and then you, you fill in the blank for the thing that I did that was disrespectful. And you'd think after 20 years, like, I don't have to do this anymore, but no, that is not the case. I I'm still, I'll send you a postcard if I ever get to be perfect with this, but, um, my husband, uh, so this was probably pre COVID. So maybe about a year ago, he had taken me out to dinner at a swanky restaurant and it was a hopping Saturday night. The waiters are flying all over and there's music and everybody's chatting. And we're just having this nice dinner, having a great conversation. Um, and he was telling me about, um, work. He was talking about his work and I made a disparaging comment about one of his clients. And he rightly took that as me trying to control which clients he gave preferential treatment to. And so immediately he got this look on his face, like, ah. and then the music stopped and like all the waiters stopped, like the good times just stopped. And I was not quite ready to be accountable yet. So I just said, oh, 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 uh, was that disrespectful? And he goes, yeah. And I was like, oh, and I was like, I apologize for being disrespectful when I criticized your client. Um, and I go, that was, that was kind of controlling. That was, that was a little controlling. And he's like, he's like, thank you. And then all of a sudden, like the music comes back and the good conversation goes out, like everything comes back to life and our intimate, wonderful um, dinner, you know, good time went, came back. Like in the old days, that would have been a cold war. That would have been like hostility, wall-to-wall -wall hostility at our house for days, maybe, because I didn't even know that I was being disrespectful and I wouldn't know how to get out of it. But um, learning that that cheat phrase, I apologize for being disrespectful. And it feels like sawdust the first time you say it, but oh my gosh. I mean, it's, it helps me not say further things that I would not like to hear coming out of my own mouth. It's really a lot more fun to be around myself now that I'm a more respectful woman. This episode is brought to you by Amazon Music Unlimited. Whenever I cook, I love listening to music from the 70s, like the Grateful Dead and Crosby, Stills and Nash, and my favorite, Joni Mitchell. With Amazon Music Unlimited, I can listen to over 70 million songs and thousands of playlists and stations. And you can now stream your favorite podcasts like Last First Date Radio. You can listen to any song, anytime, anywhere, on any device, whether it's your smartphone or tablet, your PC or your Mac, Fire TV, and any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. You will never hear or see an ad, and you can even download songs and podcasts and playlists to listen to offline. Now, for a limited time, you can get Amazon Music Unlimited for free for 90 days. Just head on over to getamazonmusic.com forward slash last first date to claim this offer. Laura, a lot of what you're describing sounds like emasculation, and it's usually an unconscious thing. I grew up in a home with a strong mother and a father who had mental illness, and because he was mentally ill, he was limited. So my mother would end up taking on more than her share in the relationship, and she was often resentful. I know they were both trying to do the best they could, but the message I took away was, men don't show up, I have to do it all. Men will not come through for you. And I think we all have stories that we take away from our family of origin and how we grew up. 
So it's really important to be conscious of our stories because they become a self-fulfilling prophecy. If I believe men will not show up, as soon as he doesn't show up, I'm going to say, see, I was right. One day I had a therapist call me on it and she said, well, did you ask for what you wanted? I hadn't asked. I believed that he wasn't going to come through for me and he should have known better, but I never asked. Now I do. And it's so empowering once we recognize how we're sabotaging our relationships and take responsibility, then we can change it, right? Absolutely. And I resonate so much with what you're saying. That is just right on. That is my experience also. And I just remember, um, you know, and sometimes this whole, you know, ask for what you want, that just didn't always go so well for me either back in the bad old days. Cause what I would do is I just remember like, um, you know, my husband watching TV or something and I would like go over with my arms akimbo and say, you know, the average couple has sex, uh, twice a week, two and a half times a week. And we haven't done it for like two weeks. So I think we should, I think we should have sex. Right. And like, I think he would just like turn up the TV. Like he, I mean, I, I, you know, I thought I was asking for what I wanted. Right. It was just like super unappealing. And, and then even worse, like if I would ask him to like spend time with me or it, 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 that wasn't ever scratching that itch. Cause what I really wanted was for him to want to make love to me or to want to spend time with me. So no amount of like asking for what I wanted was ever going to create that until I learned uh, what I know now about becoming an irresistible magnet and um, you know, being that adored wife who uh, just naturally attracts my husband's uh, time and attention and affection. Like he, I'll just be walking down the hall and he just grabs me by the waist and pulls me in for a kiss now. And I'm like, that's a lot different than what I used to experience when I was trying to force it to happen. And it was really uh, just so illuminating and enlightening to learn about my feminine gifts uh, and how attractive those are to men, especially coming up as, you know, I'm a well-educated feminist, right? Who didn't change my name when I got married because I knew that men and women were the same. I would get mad at people who would say that they're, they're not, they're not, they're not the same because I thought that meant I wasn't going to have as much opportunity in the world. And now I just see that uh, as a woman, I have special gifts that I bring to the world and to my relationship, certainly. And the world needs those gifts and my relationship needs those gifts. And one of them that I think was uh, very elusive for me was the, the feminine gift of receptivity. In other words, being a good receiver, where if some, if my husband says, oh, you look so beautiful, and I just woke up and I have bed hair that I don't contradict him and say, oh, no, I don't, don't look at me, but just, you know, just accept that, you know, through his eyes, I do and just say, oh, thank you. Or, you know, if he wants to give me his jacket when it's cold and I forgot mine or whatever to just like, let him be my hero in that moment and receive it graciously. Like, you know, so compliments help. I remember being uh, newly married and I remember carrying these really, uh, this really heavy box of dishes, like up a flight of stairs into our new apartment. And he was like, what are you doing? Like, I'll carry that for you. And, and I was like, all proud, like I'm strong too, you know, but in a way I missed the opportunity to, um, yeah, just let him be my hero and feel uh, taken care of and special. I think a lot of women are going to hear what you said and say, well, I'm not going to kowtow to a man. I think there's a lot of confusion around what it means to be a strong woman 
dating or in a relationship and tap into the feminine parts of us because we tend to abandon those parts. All that controlling and the doing and the you know pushing forward, I got this, I don't need help. That's really about being in our masculine energy. It's how we get things done in the workplace, but relationships are not the same. And it's hard for a lot of women to hear that. It was hard for me too at first. I thought, why do I have to dumb myself down for a man and hide my strengths? But that's not what it means at all. Is receptivity one of the skills of intimacy? Yeah. yeah. Practicing the art of receiving uh, graciously, which I think it is a little bit of a lost art because it. I do think it gets uh, confused with dumbing down. Like you said, I think is a great point because- I remember thinking that too, like, well, I'm capable, I'm smart, I have a brain, you know, I make a lot of money, whatever. And and all that is true. And I'm I don't ever want to be less than. But what's also true is as a mere mortal woman, sometimes I get overwhelmed. Sometimes I am cranky. Sometimes I'm just too tired. Sometimes I can't solve a problem by myself. I really need to um, and I just love being able to borrow my husband's brain. Uh, and he loves that too. He loves when I, um, you know, he's, it's not like he has to rescue me from the bottom of a well uh, every day or something, but, uh, but I, we have a lot of, you know, life is full of challenges or puzzles or uh, things that are uh, making me sad, right? Like if I am bringing, uh, you know, I, I'm worried about my mom's health or something like that, that vulnerability just makes my husband want to come in and, um, hug me tight and comfort me. And, um, you know, it, it feels like it can create a really intimate moment. And it's also really kind of awkward and uncomfortable to, to run into that vulnerability on purpose, right. To kind of walk through that waterfall of fear and find out what's on the other side. I remember one time I was, um, I was at home by myself and it was at night. So it was dark and I was just watching a movie. I was watching the King's speech which it turns out that movie makes me cry. It makes me like have shooting tears and snot just come out of the ugly, ugly cry. And so I was on the couch just having this cry <laughs> and I'm thinking I'm alone, I'm good. And my husband came home unexpectedly in the middle of it. And he greeted me. He's like, hi, cutie, you know, and I'm like, and I'm not saying anything because I'm like, okay, if I don't talk, like he won't know that I'm a total mess right now. And then, but he kind of caught on because I didn't say anything anyway. And then he's like, what's the matter, you know? And then he just came in and just hugged me big. And, um, you know, it was just a great reminder, like that vulnerability is actually beautiful. It's attractive. It's a part of being an irresistible magnet. And it's just not the easiest place to go on purpose. But when I do, I just get this indescribable feeling of being loved just the way I am. Just uh, So I call it the accountable mess, right? Vulnerability is when you're an accountable mess. Uh, and I find that it, it just makes my husband pull closer, love me more. What I'm hearing is that when you step more fully into your feminine, a man will step more fully into his masculine. So it brings out the provider and the protector in him. When we lean back a little or step more fully into our feminine, we give men the opportunity to rise up. Very true. I remember uh, 
having, speaking of the gifts that we have, right. Having these conversations, I call them state of the union addresses. Like I'd sit him down on the couch and really what I was trying to do was explain all the things he was doing wrong and what he needed to change so that I could finally be happy. Cause that's how it works. I think. Right. No, okay. Of course that's not how it works. Right. So we'd have these miserable conversations. They'd end up being fights. And I would be asking him like, well, how did you feel when that happened? Or, you know, how did you feel when your dad yelled at you or whatever? Like I had my junior therapist hat on and um, really like my husband does not want to talk about his feelings. Like that's a question I would never ask him now. Cause he used to say like, I feel hungry, you know, or I, you know, I feel with my hands and I'm like, he doesn't know how he's feeling. Like this is a, there's something wrong with him. And it's like, well, no, actually I'm women are the ones with the emotional brilliance. We're the ones that are great at knowing how we feel and expressing it. And they need that. That's something we can bring to the relationship that's of immense value. And um, so instead of like asking him, like, how did, how do you feel? It's incumbent on me to know how I feel and to say it, even if it's kind of scary, even if it feels vulnerable, uh, even if it seems inappropriate. Uh, and then when I do, uh, that also brings us closer. And it kind of becomes like the North Star of the relationship, like the way he's going to navigate, you know, according to how I feel and what I want because that's my responsibility. That's my realm. And um, so quick example, one of the cheat phrases that I also used to um, relinquish that inappropriate control early on, it was really hard to say, but <laughs> is uh, whatever you think. So if he was asking about something like, you know, what should I wear to the party? Or should I take the freeway or the side street? Order? It's like, okay, you're driving, you know, you've been dressing yourself since before I was born. I, I'd say, whatever you think. It was just a way of affirming that I trusted him to make those decisions for himself. And, and sometimes for things that were maybe affected us both, like, you know, do you think we should send the taxes now or wait until next week or whatever? I'm like, whatever you think you're handling that for us. And uh, so a quick example, he, um, I had some birthday flowers and they were kind of like right at the end of their uh, beauty. And he said, Hey, what do you want me to do with these flowers? Do you want me to throw these out? And I said, oh, whatever you think. And that sounds pretty good. Like that's my little cheat phrase I use. Like, oh, I'm, I'm doing good here. I'm saying whatever you think. I'm not controlling it. Well, no, he wanted to know what I wanted. So he actually got kind of irritated with me. And this is how I knew. I was like, oh, he was asking what I desire, not like, what should I do? And he said, no, I need to, do you want to keep these or not? You know, and I was like, oh, oh, and I was like, yeah, no, they're done. Go ahead and throw them away. Right. I didn't want to have to decide, you know, that the little bit of guilt comes up. And sometimes I don't want to acknowledge what I want because it feels vulnerable still back to that vulnerability thing. Um, but without that information, he doesn't know uh, what's going to make me happy. And since that's like the most important thing, it's everything. It's imperative to him. He needs that information. Yeah, and we need that information too. Most of us have lived our lives without tapping into our feelings or our needs and without knowing even what makes us happy because we're so busy accommodating everybody else and making everybody else happy. Just telling him, what can I tell you what would make me happy is an amazing gift to a man. I see this even at the beginning stages of dating with online dating. Women can get really mad when a man texts too much but they don't tell him, you know, what would make me really happy is if we could get on a call or it would make me really happy to meet you and then let him decide what to do with that information. I think we expect men to read our minds 
And a lot of the work I do is helping women tap into their emotions because they'll be really upset about something like you were with that whole volcano story. And we don't even know what's going on for us, whatever is upsetting us and how can we express it in a way that a man can receive it. Because if we say it in the wrong way and to the wrong person, it doesn't work. Yeah, I would have definitely been, um, gosh, a challenging client back then, I think, because I didn't know <laughs> what I wanted. And it is, um, it is the most important information for the relationship to be happy, because right, uh, unhappy people don't have happy relationships. So it's impossible if you're unhappy. Uh, and then I know for me, I was kind of outsourcing that to my husband as well. <laughs> like, okay, make me happy. It's your job, right? Instead of <laughs> taking taking care of myself and finding joy um, every day on my own, I was just waiting for him to do it. And of course we were miserable. Yeah, we were almost divorced because I just didn't know what was gonna delight me. And so it is so valuable now when I'm, you know, I can say like, I want to, I would love to go for a bike ride. I usually say I would love, cause I feel like love begets love. And so the more I'm saying what I would love, or at least what I would like, then um, the more my husband has the opportunity to return that with love. And now I even use that kind of phrasing with everyone in my life. I use it with my team, like with all my coaches and um, I use it with vendors. We're about to do some remodeling and uh, I'll, I'll say to the contractor, oh, I would love to have you know, the bathtub go here or whatever. And um, gosh, everyone just responds so like with enthusiasm, they want me to have what I want. They just need to know what it is. So it really is incumbent on us to know that. And it's not the easiest thing to figure out because we have a lot of guilt. Yeah, we have a lot of guilt and we have spent so long pushing it down that the answers really are inside us. We just have to find them. Like you saw it was possible with your husband. We have to see what's possible with us and we have to look within and say, okay, I do know the answer. We have to stop looking to other people for what we need and look within what's going on here because that's the only thing we can control. So we've got two of the six intimacy skills. What are the others? Another one that uh, I would hate to leave without talking about is uh, related to what we were just explaining, or I was just saying about making myself happy. And that is the, uh, yeah, make yourself happy skill, <laughs> which is, uh, so for me, um, I got kind of frustrated with a lot of the relationship advice I was finding back in, you know, 20 years ago. And because they would say things like, you have to love yourself. And I was like, what, what is that? Should I hug myself? Like, what is it? Cause how do I, I don't know what that means. So for me, everything had to be really practical. So one, one of the very first skills, the very first skill um, that we all take on on our campus and continue to practice religiously every day is uh, doing three things a day for your own joy, for your own pleasure, for frivolous fun. So it's not that it's going to necessarily uh, reduce greenhouse gas emissions or it's going to get you in better shape or it's just if it makes you happy, that's enough. Right. So it could I love to play volleyball, so I do that as much as I can. Um, and I love to sing in harmony. I uh, love to play uh, word games on my phone. So these are like, I have a list of 20 things. And every day I pick at least three to give myself so that um, when I look back at the day, I can be like, gosh, did I take, did I make Laura happy today? That's my priority, right? Because without that, 
um, neither of us are going to be happy. I'll be unhappy. My husband will be unhappy because I'm not happy. So, and we're going to have an unhappy relationship. So that's uh, something that I do. And I remember uh, one of my students early on, she's like, I, I just can't, Laura, I could do maybe three a week because I have these kids and I work and I'm just too busy. And I remember I felt that way too. Like, I don't have time to just make myself happy. It's silly. It's ridiculous. And um, it turns out that I didn't have time because I didn't think I had time. And that when I started making that the priority, my time expanded. Because isn't it true you can show up for life um, a little more resourceful, a little more prepared, right? When you already are, you feel rested, you feel like you, you know, you laughed because you saw a comedy or uh, you connected with some girlfriends and got rejuvenated that way. Uh, so it was just a matter of uh, feeling it was more virtuous to be that martyr who suffered. That was like the currency I was used to trading on. I uh, didn't enjoy it really, but I didn't see any other way. I didn't know what else was possible. Uh, so this journey into self-care has been uh, really rewarding for me and, uh, and all the students on my campus say the same thing. Like that's, it's a real game changer. We all know, yeah, you're supposed to make yourself happy, but just having that structure of like at least three a day that you can really give yourself check marks for has made a big difference. That's such an important thing. As a young mom, self-care was not on my radar at all. And now I'm watching my daughter, my oldest daughter, who has three small children, and it's really overwhelming. So I've talked to her many times about self-care. And when she practices self-care, she tells me, I have so much energy. I slept well. I ate well. I went for a walk with a friend. I bought some new clothes for myself. When you take care of yourself, you have more energy. What's another intimacy skill? So we've actually touched on um, some aspects of uh, the relinquishing inappropriate control skill too, which is really a key um, element, right? And and it's something you can't really do unless you are filled up and happy. Uh, like I, I actually have a, I had one student who is a mom of young children, like you're saying with your daughter, and she... Uh, was just really having the worst time with like, we call it being on your uh, husband's paper, being on your boyfriend's paper where like he's doing something and you kind of like jump over and weigh in on it. Like, I think you should do this or whatever. And she realizes like, yeah, I can't do it unless I've got my self-care on board first. So um, even though her two children were very small, she created a two hour mama break in the middle of the day. And she trained everybody, her husband and the two kids, they couldn't ask for a hug or a drink of water or anything else if they wanted to have a happy mama. <laughs> and so she was able to carve out that time. And that was uh, really key for helping her relinquish control. And so of course there's a lot more to the relinquishing control skill, but I just wanna to touch on that being a kind of a critical element of it. Um, you know, that's a great place to start is with making yourself happy. Um, and then, uh, so yeah, we talked a little bit about gratitude. We've talked about vulnerability. We've actually touched on um, several, yeah, a lot of them. It's, um, you know, it's interesting. I mean, people come and study this. There's a whole book on it, of course. And um, The Empowered Wife really lays out those six intimacy skills. And then there's, I have like a year long 
coach training course where we study the skills for a year or you come on campus uh, in like the Ridiculously Happy Wife program and study those, the skills there um, in a monthly membership program. So I just want to, I don't want to give everyone the impression like, oh, those are the skills you got them, right? It's like, I've been practicing them for 20 years and there's, I feel like there's still just um, layers peeling off and me finding like, oh, there's a, there's a level of uh, softness or vulnerability um, that I didn't see before. Or here's a, here's this little habit I have of, um, you know, that this thing I correct my husband on that like, gosh, I had a blind spot about that. Uh, so it's just kind of a, it's just an incredible journey. And I think the main thing that I, I'm so grateful for now that I, I sure didn't see in the beginning when I went into it, kicking and screaming, just so I wouldn't have to get divorced, is that it's actually been this incredible journey of personal development. That's what it was. It was the best self-improvement program I've ever undertaken. And not the kind that you think, oh, this is so hard, like boot camp or something. It's like, oh, this makes me love my life because I'm I'm walking around um, doing my gratitudes. I'm walking around making myself happy every day. I'm being vulnerable when I'm overwhelmed instead of trying to buck up and you know bark orders at everyone around me. I feel more dignified. Uh, I feel more confident because uh, that's what happens when you feel loved every day is you start to uh, your confidence just grows enormously uh, so those are some of the the benefits that I've seen from the practice and it's a uh, it's certainly something I want every woman to know about with these skills because I think I, in a lot of ways when I look back I was suffering because just no one ever taught me those intimacy skills my mom didn't know my grandmas didn't know they would have told me if they'd known and so now I'm on a mission to end world divorce um, by making sure as many women get all those skills as possible. I love it. And it's so true. I mean, I have experienced the same thing and I see it with my clients. You want to let them know, do this work and your whole life is going to change. And you're going to be more confident. You're going to feel great about your life, but it's a lot to take in. And it's like, oh my God, this is so big. It's big, but it's amazing. And when you do this work, you're at peace with yourself. You're able to process your emotions. You don't hold on to anger and you're, you're able to forgive and move on. So many things that hold people back from living the life they're meant to live. So I love this. I love it so much. Thank you so much for sharing all of this beautiful information and for the important work you do in the world. Laura, can you tell people how they can find you? Well, one of the cool things I have right now that I'm excited for everyone to get their hands on is the Adored Wife Roadmap. I'm like, who doesn't want to be an adored wife, right? So, <laughs> and it lays out all the, the six steps that, uh, that we've been talking about today. And it also covers some of the common mistakes that almost everybody seems to be making, trying to get, um, get a man's uh, time or attention or affection. So it has those three. Uh, and you can get that right now at lauradoyle.org. You can get instant access. It's free uh, at lauradoyle.org. And do you want to share any social media links for people to find you as well? We also have a free um, Facebook group, the Adored Wife Facebook group. Uh, so yeah, that would be a great place to come and meet uh, many thousands of women over 13,000 women who all think that relationships matter and make them a priority uh, and focus on them and grow and learn how to be their best selves so they can have their best relationship. 
Thank you, Laura. It's really such a pleasure talking today. I could have gone on for a very long time because this stuff just lights me up. I can see how much passion you have for the changes that you've gone through and now you share with others. So thank you. Thank you. It's been a delight for me as well. Thanks for having me on. And thanks everybody for listening. If you love our show, please rate and review us. It means the world to us. And we hope you go on your last first date very soon.